Big money has fueled the exponential expansion of CDC's vaccine schedule since 1988, when Congress's grant of immunity from lawsuits suddenly transformed vaccines into pay dirt. CDC recommended five pediatric vaccines when I was a boy in 1954. Today's children cannot go to school without at least 56 doses of 14 vaccines by the time they're 18. An insatiable pharmaceutical industry. Has 271 new vaccines under development in CDC's bureaucratic pipeline in hopes of boosting vaccine revenues to $100 billion by 2025. Article by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. in The Ecologist, 14, the Timerosol Bait and Switch. Medicine, like all human knowledge, is built through a lot of trial and error and suffering. Simply speaking, humanity has made a lot of mistakes in its quest to make people better. Ancient Chinese emperors took mercury as a way to achieve immortality, often leading to the opposite effect. We used to take cocaine and radium as over-the-counter medicines. There's still a lot of medicine we take today that might be considered harmful and barbaric in the future, certainly. And that's not to ignore the issue of need for capitalistic profits or even simple human greed when it comes to the modern pharmaceutical industry. History is full of unethical medical professionals and executives who have lied and caused the deaths of many true-set lies. But it is also a fact that the flip side of the equation, consisting of alternative medicine peddlers, nonprofits, and also actual medical professionals who abuse their credentials, are not innocent of the profiteering and deception they accuse pharmaceutical companies of. If anything could be worse, is usually medicines tend to work more often than not, or at least have a better track record than many alternative medicines. To quote comedian Tim Minchin. You know what they call alternative medicine that's been proved to work? Medicine. In lieu of more concrete studies, many turn to emotional appeals, conspiracy theories, and media scares. We saw a manifestation of this when Andrew Wakefield used the media to conjure up a public scare that brought the measles back to the UK for the first time in over a decade. We'll be seeing a similar view of this in the United States involving a chemical called Timerosol. A routine government directive to remove Timerosol in 1999 ended up breeding a new skepticism of vaccines that continues today. Alongside Wakefield are an army of liars and disinformation agents, some with actual credentials, who, like Wakefield, took the profitable route. These people, any the organizations they formed, as well as their friends in the government, would build the robust anti-vaccine community that causes so much pain today. I want to start the story off with what Timerosol is and how it became the early boogeyman of the anti-vaccination movements in the USA. It is a compound composed primarily of ethyl mercury, so that is why you may hear about mercury in the vaccines. But let's put it on hold for now. It was synthesized by a scientist called Morris Karash 
1928, working for the University of Maryland. Karash is actually a major figure in chemistry for defining something called the peroxide effect, which admittedly is not something I understand and is also not really relevant here, so I'll just leave it at that. Timerosol was a very important discovery for the development of vaccines at its time, as it was proven to be extremely effective in killing bacteria like Staphylococcus. It also did not affect the efficacy of the vaccines themselves. Staph was a major adverse side effect for vaccinations at the time due to cross-contamination, and could be fatal, so a preservative that did not negatively affect the vaccine was incredibly important. Eli Lilly, the pharmaceutical company, began to use timerosol as a preservative in multi-dose vaccines in 1931 under the name Retilate. It is also used in many other medical products as an antiseptic, like with creams, eye drops, and so on. Generally, like with most vaccine products, ethylmercury is passed from the body through feces within a few weeks. However, the 20th century was also when we became more aware of things like chronic mercury poisoning. You may have heard that you're not supposed to eat too much seafood due to the amount of mercury in sea-dwelling creatures. In the 1950s, the city of Minamata in Japan lost over 1,700 people due to chronic, extensive mercury poisoning due to industrial runoff. Thanks to increasing industrialization and lax environmental laws, mercury was saturating the air, sea, and land, and awareness of chronic mercury intake was increasing. It should be noted that most toxicity studies most focused on methyl mercury, which is very toxic and the cause of most environmental mercury poisoning. And as mentioned, timerosol contains ethyl mercury, which is less well known in terms of its toxicity. Nevertheless, most authorities make the assumption that both mercury variants have the same toxicity as a precaution. As a result, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration Modernization Act mandated identification and quantification of mercury in all food and drugs, including vaccines, in 1997. The study, two years later, found babies got as much as 187.5 micrograms of mercury within the first six months of life from all sources. This is not an indication of harm caused by the vaccines themselves. In fact, the American Academy of Pediatrics and Public Health Service issued a statement that said, there is no data or evidence of any harm caused by the level of exposure that some children may have encountered in following the existing immunization schedule. Except for cases of hypersensitivity or allergy, there has not been any solid link between vaccines and any harm of recipients. Still, out of an abundance of caution, the agencies involved recommended thimerosal be phased out. As a preservative, Thimerosal was quickly phased out of all childhood vaccines in the U.S. and Europe. It is still used in occasional drugs like snake antivenom and tetanus. Scientists and industry representatives gathered in conferences like the Simpson Wood Metodist in 2000 to discuss preliminary findings regarding the link between the vaccine and any potential side effects. The findings presented, while not finalized or conclusive, would precede the decision to phase out the preservative out of childhood vaccines. And by 2001, it was gone from all childhood vaccines. But this cautious move thrust the preservative into the limelight, and anti-vaccination activists took notice. At the time, the MMR scare was in full swing in the UK, and portions of Wakefield's interviews were broadcast in the US as well. 
This is where a man called Mark Geyer comes in. Geyer worked with the National Institutes of Health from 1969 to 1982, specializing in biochemistry. In 2003, he and his son, David, published an article claiming a link between timerosol and autism, titled Timerosol and Childhood Vaccines, Neurodevelopment Disorders, and Heart Disease in the United States. It was a smoking gun that anti-vaccination activists have been looking for, and here, the guyer seemed to prove that the connection exists. There's only one problem. The guyers used Veer's data only to draw their conclusions, and did not seem to do any testing of their own. Veer's, or Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, is a self-reporting database managed by the FDA and the CDC. As the name suggests, it allows medical providers and overall the public to report any and all potential side effects experienced by someone after taking a vaccine. Headache? It's there. Diarrhea? Might be the vaccine or might be that day old chicken parmesan you had. Either way, because there is no necessity to prove a link, Veers records them all. Ideally, it should help researchers identify potential adverse effects of vaccines that they can do further study on. Say, if 10,000 recipients of a vaccine report severe headaches, for example, it is something worth looking into. Veers is not, it should be noted, a confirmation of an adverse effect, given the low data quality and nature of the data. While healthcare professionals are required to report adverse effects to the database, Veers also allows unverified and public reports, which makes the data easy for misinterpretation or abuse. In 2021, Veers is being abused in exactly this way by anti-vaxxers to exaggerate the dangers of COVID vaccines by misinterpreting the data there. And in 2003, the Geyers did something similar. The paper was so misleading that the American Academy of Pediatrics issued a strong rebuke against the paper, saying with more clarity what I talked about in the prior paragraph, quote, the most important weakness of the article is the reliance on Veer's data to draw conclusions about adverse events associations or causality. Veer's is a passive surveillance system for reporting possible vaccine adverse effects that depends on healthcare professionals, patients, and others to file reports. Health effects reported to Veer's as being associated with vaccines may represent true adverse effects, coincidental occurrences, or mistakes in filing. Inherent limits of VIRS include incomplete reporting, lack of verification of diagnosis, and lack of data on people who are immunized and did not report problems. Data from VIRS are useful for hypothesis generation, but should not be used for research aimed at determining whether vaccines cause certain health problems, as was done in the article by Geyer and Geyer. For instance, VIRS work well to quickly alert investigators to the possibility of intussusception after rotavirus immunization, but could not prove the association. Proof required numerous control studies to document the nature and frequency of this association. Despite the misleading papers and the public rebuke, Mark Geyer has been called upon as an expert witness over a hundred times as of 2007, including in tort cases with thousands of plaintiffs alleging vaccine injury. Of course, that doesn't really mean as much when a special master who presided over a case about alleged vaccine injury referred to him in 2003 as, quote, 
a professional witness in areas for which he has no training, expertise, or experience. He was, and still is, regarded as an expert on mercury and autism, despite Maryland suspending his medical license in 2001 for, among other things, inappropriate diagnosis and administration of the drug Lupron, administering or inappropriate chelation therapy, and misrepresentation of credentials to nine autistic patients. Lupron is used as a chemical castration drug, and we've discussed chelation in the last episode. Now, Mark called Lupron a miracle drug, and charged patients thousands to administer his protocol, which is based on some disproven link between precocious puberty, mercury, and autism. He even set up a fake review board to give his finding credibility, which was quickly found out and debunked. After Maryland suspended him, nine other states followed. Yet, Gyrus still managed to be a voice on the subject of mercury. He and his son founded a group called the Coalition for Mercury-Free Drugs, or COMED. COMED was one of the many participants of the Minamata Convention on Mercury, which phases out or eliminates many mercury-related products around the world. And in 2012, COMED sued the government and challenged the determination that chimerosol is safe and effective. The case was rejected on standing grounds, but in the opinion written by current Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, the then judge seemed to go out of his way to recognize the plaintiff's genuine concerns. To quote the ruling. Before I continue with where the big time aerosol controversy went, I'm gonna circle back a little bit onto Andrew Wakefield's American Circle, just to give some extra context about the other people involved with pushing it. While in the UK, mercury and thimerosal wasn't really part of the discussion as the MMR vaccine did not contain it. Wakefield still found fast friends with a lot of influential people, who advocated a link between vaccines and autism, regardless of the mechanism. I talked about Texas Congressman Dan Burton very briefly in the previous episode. In a 2005 event where Andrew Wakefield also spoke, by then, Burton had already established himself as the premier anti-vaccination advocate in Congress. Even in 2000, he was demanding the FDA recall all vaccines with thimerosal. He maintained a page on his House website that says, quote, "Based on my own research, I believe that the mercury-based preservative thimerosal contained in seven of the nine vaccines." That my grandson received in one day shortly before he was diagnosed with autism may have been a contributing cause to his condition. He's held 20 hearings about the matter during his time as office, and his website links to some very dodgy websites, including Autism Speaks and No Mercury. Obviously, the actual phasing out Tamarasol didn't stop him from holding more anti-vaccination hearings, holding them until his last few months in office in 2012. This isn't Congressman Burton's first dalliance with conspiracy theories. In the Clinton years, he was a proponent of the Vince Foster murder theory, which claims that the Clintons had Vince Foster killed. He was known as a Tea Party member in the last few years of his career, 
and continued to speak at anti-vaccine conferences as well as appearing in Andrew Wakefield's movie, Vaxxed. He was last known working for the Citizens Commission for Human Rights, which is a Scientology-affiliated organization that, quote, maintains or increases protection for the public with reference to psychiatric treatments, including drugs and brain devices. Burton maintained himself as a consistent voice in the halls of power, though he never managed to get anything actually concrete passed on that front. Ultimately, the people who were most successful in spreading disinformation about the vaccines maybe the celebrities. In the COVID-19 era, these are people like Joe Rogan, as well as actors like Evangeline Lilly and Letitia Wright, among many, many others. 15 years ago, it was Jenny McCarthy. Jenny McCarthy's story is going to be very familiar by now, with a son that had seizures that she said was caused by the MMR vaccine. She has a group called Generation Rescue, and advocates for many of the things that we talked about chelation, unusual diets, and other unproven treatments that she claims can cure autism. Like many of the organizations we talked about, the board members are involved with selling cures that are unusual at best, like lollipops and hyperbaric chambers. To quote the actual founder of Generation Rescue, J.B. Hanley, quote, to our community, Andrew Wakefield is Nelson Mandela and Jesus Christ rolled up into one He's a symbol of how all of us feel. And I think that encapsulates why mothers like McCarthy do what they do and why people like her are so effective. The undeniable personal burden of raising a child perceived as sick lends emotional weight that supersedes logical thinking, regardless of the evidence. McCarthy has appeared on several national TV shows talking about the link between vaccines and autism, including on The Oprah Winfrey Show where Winfrey gave a sympathetic platform to her, calling McCarthy a mother warrior. And despite, or maybe because of her reputation now as an anti-vaccination advocate and mother of an autistic child, she still has a career in national TV from time to time. But her biggest success, I think, was the Green Our Vaccines March in June 2008, organized in part by Generation Rescue. You can see her in pictures with her then-boyfriend, Jim Carrey, marching down DC in green shirts. To quote the press release, McCarthy, author of the best-selling book, Louder Than Words, A Mother's Journey in Healing Autism, and Carrey have joined forces with national advocacy organizations in the battle to eliminate toxins from children's vaccines and to encourage national health agencies to reassess mandatory vaccine schedules. While they do support immunization, like many parents and experts in the medical community, McCarthy, Carey, and many allies feel that children are receiving too many vaccines too soon, many of which are toxic. Their goal is to demand a safer vaccine supply and schedule for children. I think the paragraph is important given that it contains some of the most common weasel words used by anti-vaxxers to soften their stance. They don't always define what the bad toxins and vaccines are, and they claim they're not anti-vaccines, just that there are too many, that there is no evidence of such a thing actually being harmful to children. The campaign against mandatory vaccines is effectively a strike against the concept of herd immunity and the so-called freedom of choice to not inoculate their children 
hidden behind a call for safer vaccines. By never defining a concrete goal, they can claim the moral high ground. But the biggest thing about the rally was that they managed to get a Kennedy as the keynote speaker, specifically Robert F. Kennedy Jr. He's a bit more well-known now for his positions on COVID these days, but he did have a commendable career as an environmental lawyer, lending his gravitas as such, and as a Kennedy, to the vaccine skeptics. And since he will be one of the most important figures in the next couple of episodes anyway, let's get his history out of the way right now. Robert Fitzgerald Kennedy Jr. is the third of 11 children. He was nine when his uncle, the president, John F. Kennedy, was killed, and 14 when his own father was gunned down by Sirhan Sirhan. After graduating from law school, like many of his family members, Kennedy made a name for himself as a capable environmental lawyer. He sued polluters on behalf of the river keepers bringing lawsuits against companies accused of polluting the Hudson River and the waters around New York City and the Long Island Sound. His work there inspired him and others to form the Water Keeper Alliance, which helps maintain the environmental cleanliness of hundreds of bodies of water around the world. He is also known as a champion of indigenous peoples, for instance helping indigenous peoples in Chile and Canada halt the construction of dams that would ruin their ancestral lands. He is an opponent of factory farms as well as opposing nuclear power. His environmental activism doesn't always put him in line with other environmentalists. For instance, he opposed a wind farm off of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, taking the side of the fishermen over the environmentalists. But there is one more factor when considering why Robert F. Kennedy Jr. became one of the so-called Disinformation Dozen, named by the Center for Countering Hate, an organization that claims Kennedy and 11 other people are responsible for spreading a majority of disinformation on social media. It started with his son's peanut allergies. Kennedy formed the Food Allergy Initiative, which is the largest private funder of food allergy research in the United States. While nominally a good thing, it is true this that Kennedy began to develop an interest in the potential allergens in vaccines, especially as a possible link between vaccines and other maladies began to circulate. It was his article in Salon in 2005, published together with Rolling Stone and titled Deadly Immunity, that really thrust him into the forefront of the movement. He focused on the Simpsonwood Conference in 2000, and in no uncertain terms, alleged a conspiracy between the pharmaceutical industry and government officials and scientists buried a link between thimerosal and vaccine injury. To quote, But instead of taking immediate steps to alert the public and rid the vaccine supply of thimerosal, the officials and executives at Simpsonwood spent most of the next two days discussing how to cover up the damaging data. Kennedy painted a picture of shock scientists figuring out how to tie the conclusion. He focuses early on a speech by lead researcher Thomas Verstraten, who Kennedy says was, quote, shocked by the results and alleged the link between thimerosal and autism. 
but by the time Verstraten published his final results in 2003, the study showed the exact opposite. Kennedy used that, and the fact that Verstraten switched from being employed by the CDC to GlaxoSmithKline to allege the cover-up and falsification of data. This is something Verstraten has obviously vehemently denied. Outside of the accusations, the article ultimately contained several key errors that showed how Kennedy misrepresented the conference, its finding, and the framing around the Timerosol issue. Some were corrected within days of the article's publishing. He exaggerated the number of vaccines and an amount of ethyl mercury that children received as part of his argument that vaccines were receiving too many of them. He falsely claimed the rotavirus vaccine had Timerosol. It did not. As mentioned, only some of the vaccines did. He misrepresented and misattributed quotes. Those were corrected within months of the article coming out, though the article as a whole was not retracted in full until 2011. There is one thing that also stands out in the article in my view, and it's that, and it's that Kennedy clearly draws a line between Timerosol and his environmental crusades. He knows as well as anyone that profitability is a key reason for environmental damage and human suffering, and he extrapolates that reasoning into the push for vaccines by scientists. He is not alone, and that's why many anti-vaxxers tend to talk about toxins and why you have slogans like green your vaccines. Relatedly, this is also why Kennedy talks about how children receive too many vaccines, alleging that scientists and pharmaceutical companies and governments are doing it solely for the reason of profitability and ties it without concrete evidence to the rise of autism diagnosis in children. Moving from the insinuation of a cover-up, the article becomes less about the alleged cover-up of the harmfulness of Timerosol itself and casts doubt on all vaccines. Even if Kennedy denies being an anti-vaccine advocate, and continue to for a very long time, it's hard to take any other message from the article and its rhetoric. Personally, I think that even if the vaccines were somehow all natural, whatever that means, or if all notions of profitability were somehow removed from the medical field and the pharmaceutical industries, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his followers would still not be pro-vaccine. As mentioned in the Wakefield episodes, there has been no link discovered between vaccines and autism. And, as mentioned again, Timerosol has not existed in vaccines in the USA since 2001. But that no longer matters as Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s rhetoric becomes increasingly extreme and broadly anti-vaccine. In 2016, Kennedy founded a group called World Mercury Project, later renamed Children's Health Defense. Here. Kennedy's talent for gathering funds for study and spreading the message really shines. But now, it's used to spread this information about not just vaccines and autism, but also the link between so-called toxins and ADHD, cancer, fluoridation, and so forth. And true children's health defense and its use of social media messaging and marketing, we see the real damage done by misinformation.
Well, I'm far from done with Robert Kennedy Jr., but I think this might be a good place to end for today. Next week, I will continue to follow Children's Health Defense Foundation and take a look at how the group's messaging, among others, led to a resurgence in measles in the United States. Finally. Also, it's worth continuing to follow Kennedy and the evolution of his message, but also how he reacted to the COVID-19 pandemic, including some of the origins of his more inane comments. The reason for that is one of the most common questions asked by certain people is, can you prove how many people has his rhetoric killed? And I hope that next week I intend to show how deadly and destructive people like Kennedy's rhetoric and words are. Thank you for your patience and thank you for listening. Sources for this episode can be found in the episode description. For correspondence and corrections, please message me on Twitter at PolyPandemicPod. If I can make this podcast work, I'd like to hear from you. Your story with dealing with this pandemic or any disease, and if you have any suggestions for future topics you'd like me to look into. I apologize once again for any mistakes, truncations, and pronunciation errors I've made in the preceding episode. And as always, if you can, get yourself and everyone you know vaccinated and boosted, wear a mask if you can, and always wash your hands.